0: You know, I've. I've tried to give it away, sell it, lock it, throw it out with the garbage, but it always comes back. Oh, nothing supernatural. I don't believe in that jazz. But when people refuse it, even wrapped as a gift, when the men on a garbage truck bring it in, will you give up after a while? Say, you wouldn't like to have it, would you? No. What would I do with it? Why give it back to me, of course. Point first! I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Come on,
0: we're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto
1: strange highways.
0: Enter Death's waiting room,
1: if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey, guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our talk about stopover at a quiet town. Um, that was, again, uh, I have to begrudgingly give uh, Mr. and H- Mr. credit for a pretty okay script. So that's, you know... Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm capable of admitting when things, you know, I, I don't just hate absolute. If something's good, I'll say it's good. Change is good, Paul. It's okay. All right. So <laughs> uh, before we get into uh, season five, episode 31, the encounter uh, and everybody tuck in, this is going to be a weird one. I'm going to ask Terry about his weekend. Cause you went away to a convention and I didn't ask you about this stuff yet, off mic because I just want to hear all your stories like what cool stuff happened with your convention that you went to okay
0: so uh, on, on the last episode mentioned that I was going to Indianapolis to go to the Days of the Dead convention um which is primarily horror um but at this convention they had Alice Cooper there and uh I that was the main reason I, I told my wife I was like there's no other chance that we're probably going to have that's going to be like this I can't imagine, at least. Dude's 73 years old. He's been to hell and back. We took that chance. And we went, and it was awesome. We got to meet Alice, got to take the, uh, the photo op with him, got to sit through a Q&A that he had done as well. Nice. It was amazing. Did you get the machete signed? I got my machete yes! signed. Yes,
1: all right, there you uh, go. Yes,
0: I I, um, I have a machete that is signed by uh, five cast members of uh, Friday the 13th Part 6, which uh, he did some of the music for. On the soundtrack, and he did a really cool music video for the man behind the mask. Awesome, and I, I was like, I'm gonna take this. I don't care what I have to do. I'm gonna tell everybody, and then then I'll take it out of the container. So that's what I did. And people are like, that was a good idea. I can see why you might freak people out by taking machete out and start wielding it around.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, so you told like the con people and the security people, like,
0: here's what's up. His Uh, handlers, all that stuff. I was like, I don't know when to take this out, but this is for him. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll let you know. And so when I got up to him, I took it out, which was interesting, gave it to him. And he was like, I had to show Jason how to hold a machete. (laughs) He's like, he didn't even know how to hold the thing. I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) So it was awesome. Um, Also, to combine with that, um, Tony Todd was there who played Candyman. Um, everything na- amazing <laughs> yeah. another amazing actor it was really cool to meet him uh phil Anselmo from pantera was there got to meet him um just it was a cool convention a little disorganized but you know they're they're working it out there was just an overload of people on saturday that they just did not expect I,
1: well i'm sure that's kind of what's going to happen this year and probably the next couple of years because people were just like you know they were all being pent up for a year plus right of not being able to go to cons so because we you and i have experienced that a little bit even when we went to um living dead weekend that was a little a little a lot of people you know like people showing up at least it was a mall people could kind of spread out in you know but yeah
0: the, this was i mean the, this place is a big hotel it's the marriott out in indianapolis and big big location and everything it was cool i uh, had a great time uh uh, Butch Patrick, uh, from the Munsters, was there, and he actually brought the car. He brought the the family car there too. Nice. It was amazing. So
1: yeah, I had a great time. Did you shoot some like additional wedding photos while oh, there? <laughs> I wish. Yeah, it was
0: kind of it was kind of like interesting. In the fact that the last time we stayed at Marriott was when we got married.
1: There you go. So. Yeah. That sounds like a really cool weekend. I mean, you know, anytime you meet uh, people that you admire and have them sign weapons, I mean, that sounds like a good weekend to me. Yeah. But it's I'd be like, oh, hey, um, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Stephen King, I appreciate <laughs> your work. I just happen to have a, like a pitchfork. I, for no reason, just sign that. Thank you. Yeah. Like, no no affiliation. Like, you know, like here, here's a <laughs> shotgun. Can you just sign that for me? Please? Here's a no. scythe. You know, you wrote Children of the Corn. Yeah. Why not? At least that'd be like, like tangentially related to something. I'd like to bring him a weapon of like, you know, Here's a mace. I, yeah, yeah. 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 Like whatever. Um, here's a large can of bear mace. Can you please sign this one? Uh, <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I don't know. It'd don't be know. the
0: strangest thing in my collection. All right?
1: Um, they, it would always cause people to ask questions, right? Like, uh, I think there was, um, a, a key and peel skit where one of them was trying to show a sword being signed. And it was, no, no, it was, I'm sorry. It was actually Step Brothers. whatever it was John C. Riley was showing off uh, like a samurai sword that was signed by, um, Oh, of oh, the one um judge from American Idol uh, was it um Randy Simon ja- Count? No, R- Randy Jackson, not Randy oh, Jackson. Yeah, Randy uh, Jackson. Yeah, he's like look at that. He's like it's all I had on me at the time. You got to get the signature together the camera <laughs> <the> sort. <laughs> like, anyway. So, so yeah, um uh, you know, that that was that was some fun stories and a fun time, uh, but we're we're about to get into uh Season 5, episode 31, The Encounter, um, an episode that does not have a lot of laughs. We're going to... It's... Whew, this is a weird one. Let's just get it... Like, totally wise. Let's just say that. It's just a weird one. I, I, I've been not dreading figuring out how to talk about this, but I've been challenged trying to think all week about how to discuss this episode with you, Terry. So... We'll, we'll see how it goes I can see that yeah, I, yeah well yeah as we get so, into this we'll so yeah uh, we'll do day and Dayton and cast cast and crew uh, again another um large large um crew to get through here a large cast air date is May 1st uh 1964 number one film the carpetbaggers number one song can't buy me love uh, by the Beatles so um all right I have some day and day stuff for the first of May. At 4 a.m. at Dartmouth College, uh, mathematics professors John G. Uh, Kemeny and Thomas E. Cuts uh, or Kurtz, ran the first program written in BASIC, which stands for Beginners All-Purpose Symbolic Instruction Code. I had no idea. So it was an easy learned co- uh, computer programming language that, that they had created. So it was the first time BASIC was used. Uh, that's something that's still taught, I think, of people like that's a very you know that, it's an introductory computer coding language. So, it's like, there you go for one of the first uh, coding languages um, was in the state. I'm not a coder, so I, I can't really speak to much other than we have the internet probably because of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Thanks. There's something there. I'm using a computer currently, you know, (laughs) that's all all I could say about it. So
0: I know that computers make our lives a hell of a lot easier and some people know how to use them like that. Yeah. Good. Good on them. You
1: know, (laughs) so May 2nd, the next day, 1,000 uh, students participated, about a 1,000 students, in the first major student demonstration against the Vietnam War, marching in New York City uh, as part of the May 2nd movement that had been organized by students at Yale University. Marches also occurred in San Francisco, Boston, Seattle, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, this is important uh, for the show because when we go back um, the very first episode of the season five, in praise of Pip, um, that was one of those odd moments where it's the part of the story took place in Vietnam, and the U.S. hadn't really been like officially saying anything about like what they were doing there, so we're seeing like you know, um, and that was oh, the the end of sixty um, whatever year it is we're now. The end of sixty three, going in sixty four, things are starting to change very quickly about public the public knowledge. So I thought that was worthy of mentioning. Um, last thing I have here, uh, it wouldn't be an episode of Strange Highways without just a freak accident and sadness, but also weird. Uh, 46 teenagers were injured one fatally in an escalator accident at Baltimore Memorial stadium, where they were given um, free admission to a baseball game between the Orioles and the Cleveland Indians. Ironically, the youngsters were among 20,000 who had been invited for safety patrol day. Um, and S, uh, S, uh, Constantini, uh 14, was at the front of the line and was crushed by the stampede that resulted when the top of the escalator was partially blocked by a wooden barricade.
0: What the hell? Where did the wooden barricade come
1: from? It was at, at, um, it was at the top. On huh. the top of the escalator was partially blocked. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, a lot of kids were hurt. One was killed um, when they were there for safety patrol day. I hate that the Indians
0: are attached to this dude. That's a bummer, man. Because this is the third like thing in bad Indians history. Like you had yeah, the the, 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 uh, yeah, the yeah yeah, yeah the yeah. ten cent beer night. You yeah. had the 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 only fatality in a game that was an Indians player. Like. Ugh
1: yeah well i mean and they
0: sucked back then too
1: i mean at least this happened oh this was so bad at least it happened in baltimore that's not what i meant by that it wasn't like it happened you know municipal stadium in cleveland as well you know (laughs) but it's like it's still sad that it occurred it just it happened to be cleveland adjacent yeah you know so
0: some bad juju came along with them yeah
1: (laughs) right um i just it's just the 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 horrible thing that happened during safety patrol day is like that's (laughs) You know that
0: whatever. sounds like something right out of like a uh, like a family guy episode or like King of the Hill. Like, oh,
1: well, it was like there's that joke in uh, basketball where it's like they lose, they was at the home team, the beers lose a game, and it's like, what is like, what a way to go out on was it free dozen egg night or whatever it was. <laughs> <Yeah. Something laughs> that you know, so <laughs> free yeah.
0: range chicken night. Yeah, there was yeah. that
1: too, something like that. Yeah. But it was like free one doesn't ignite. <laughs> like so. All right, that's um that's your day and date. Um, let's just get into our uh our, our cast and crew here. Did you do movie and so- oh, oh yeah, I mentioned it. Oh you geez. you were like oh my car- god, carpetbaggers and came oh, by and yeah. you love wow. the Beatles because I've said that like six times in a row now because it's like you know it all just fades yeah in, right. into
0: the memory. Yeah, now. <laughs> you
1: were just so stunned. By the escalator accident,
0: you know? really? I'm just I'm just stunned by this episode. Still, anyway. So here we got uh, our director is Robert Butler. Um, we just covered uh, the episode Caesar and Me. He directed that episode. So yeah. if you want to hear more about Mister Butler, go ahead and listen to that episode. We just did it. Um, our writer on here is Martin Goldsmith. Um, we just covered what's in the box not too long ago. So if you want to hear more about Mr. Goldsmith, I don't know if you want to mention anything. No, about these I gentlemen. Did they, Like
1: these are both their second outings for the twilight zone and final outings for the yeah. twilight zone. So they both had two. uh, what's in the box is an episode. I'm sure will be talked about later. Uh, actually, you know, there is a connection to this episode to that one because of the writer and how, um, it ends. So I don't know what this guy has against, uh, certain like, you know, parts of a, a home, but we'll get there. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, and actually in Caesar Me, like there, there's a lot of related, um, you know, uh, property damage that happens in these episodes. So that, yeah,
0: sure. Um So into our cast we go. Here uh, we have Neville Brand. Uh, he plays Mr. Fenton in this episode. Uh, he was in an episode of Playhouse 90. He was in The Birdman of Alcatraz, um, a pretty big movie about the Birdman, um, and it shed a lot of light on the prison system and that. Uh, and then 56 episodes of a show called Laredo um, Laredo Laredo uh,
1: Laredo Laredo there you yeah.
0: go. and then yeah so it, because it's uh, connected sort of uh, he was also in Tora Tora Tora
1: well yeah so that's important yeah. um, he as an actor became known as a villain um, he played a lot but the fact that they call him heavies mm-hmm. uh, just like so he was known for being a heavy and you he can see he in this episode and his <laughs> voice is amazing I love his voice uh, but he became really known as a villain when his character, uh, when he killed um, the character played by Elvis Presley and the film Love Me Tender, which I didn't know that. But yeah, so there you go. Uh, so the thing about him, though, and this is going to color this episode really um, actually both of our actors have uh, very much connections to the content of this episode. Uh, Brand was awarded uh, the Silver Star, the second highest decoration for valor in the US military for uh, gallantry in combat. His other awards include the Purple Heart, uh, the Good Conduct Medal, American Defense Service Medal, European, African, Middle Eastern Campaign Medal, with three battle stars, one overseas service bar, combat infantry badge, one service stripe. And it just goes on and on. Like, he's one of the most decorated people, right? Like, I I, I saw in passing, like, he's like, like the fifth most decorated. Soldier, like from like World War II or something like that, like oh, it's crazy, right? So, in a 66 interview, Brand explained the Silver Star, stating that withering fire from a German machine guns in like a hunting lodge kept him and his um, unit pinned down. And here, here's the quote I must have flipped my lid, I decided to go into that lodge. So, he took that lodge. He doesn't say what he did, but he did something. Uh, he was discharged from service in October 45. Uh, so yeah, like uh, he, um. Uh, he, he's a guy that like clearly, you know, he has, you know, a lot of wartime experience, then transition and acting. Uh, it's, when you mentioned Tora, 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 that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. And this episode, you can see that I'm sure there was a lot to pull from. Uh, and also he, um, he admitted to having a problem, alcohol later in his life. And like just whatever money he had was gone and just kind of, kind of, uh, ended up like in a bad spot towards the end. And so when you watch this episode of him, Dealing with the demons of talking about World War II, and then being like talking about him losing his job, and it just—it's just it—it—it just, it, it was foreshadowing that was not intended whatsoever. Yeah. So,
0: like, they definitely picked the the right guy for this kind of character because he looked beat the shit. Like, he just yeah. looked like a dude that was on the rocks. He just
1: looked like Fred Flintstone would look like in real life. You know, like just.
0: <laughs> Next, we have here is uh, George Decay. Uh, He plays Arthur Takamori. He goes by another name. um, uh, He also goes by Toro. Um, So we'll bring up why that is uh, when we talk about the episode proper. Um, He also appeared in the the Jordan Peele uh, version of Twilight Zone for one episode. uh, But it was only his voice, from what I can remember. It was his voice, yeah. Yeah, just his voice. And that was the... um, what was the it was, it was a remake was season
1: of, <laughs> season two episode 10 because it was the last one they did it was called you might also like uh that had gretchen mall in it uh and it was directed by uh i don't know why i remember all this stuff osgood perkins son of anthony perkins and it, it brought they brought back the cannonments yeah the um, yeah and it was uh, a weird episode that promised a lot and didn't, and didn't do much but you got his voice in it so yeah. that was cool
0: yeah so and then um, he was also in uh, the original Rodan and uh, Godzilla raids again um, most people would know him from Star Trek uh, lots of iterations of it uh, he came back for like even doing voice work and that for the uh, cartoons and stuff but what is most important four episodes of Hawaiian Eye
1: I. oh I didn't pick up on that that's oh, great
0: oh man and that's it that's, that's, that's okay. all well, we well
1: so I got a lot about I got some other stuff about George Takei so, um, big thing here in regards to this episode and just in, in general, unless we forget, uh, he, uh, his family was actually interned in the Japanese internment camps, um, what was it? Uh, I I forget the dates, but uh, his like after Pearl Harbor, which we'll talk about a little bit more. um, There was executive order 9066 uh, that basically said any, you know, any Japanese American like they, they, they put them, they put them in camps because it's like, we don't know if we can trust anybody now. So we actually interned American citizens and Takei and, and his family were put there. So he actually dealt with this. So, um, he, he ended up writing a musical about this later. That's actually, I think it's still out touring right now, but it it's a big deal where we actually took our own citizens and put them in camps and treated them like second class or it, like, well, we treated them not like, you know, American citizens are basically humans. So I think that's important to mention because of this episode and just in general, that it, it's a thing that happened lest we forget. Um, so also, um, In in October 2005, Takay revealed in an issue of Frontiers magazine that he he was gay and had been in a committed relationship. Um, So the move was prompted by then um, Schwarzenegger's veto of the same-sex marriage legislation in California. So I like this quote. It's not really about coming out, which suggests uh, opening a door and stepping through. It's more like a long, long walk uh, through what has been a narrow corridor that starts to widen. So it was kind of one of those like... um, uh, like very known secrets uh, like after like around his star Trek days going forward that everybody knew, you know, his, you know, it, what he, what his affiliation was, but, or um, that's, not even right. that's not the right way to say that, but everybody knew, you know, that he was homosexual, but it was one of those things that was never said like publicly, you know? So I think it's important because he's all, he's been on the forefront of always like defending rights and things like that too. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, it's just there's a lot of outside things around this episode that, like, weirdly inform this episode, too. I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you brought those uh, those things up, um, especially the camp thing. Uh, we No one should forget that shit. I mean, just ridiculous stuff that the the Americans were doing back then. to <laughs> <Well. laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, it's who'd have thought like, you know, it's whatever. I, yeah. it, it, bad news needs to, you know, let, let us not forget that we've done that. So, and may we never do that again. Yeah. Um, so, all right, uh, but let's, let's bleh, all right. I don't even know what, like it's all, it's already closed. The walls are closing on me, Terry. It's getting really like scary, really political. All of a sudden, I don't mean to do that, but let's just, let's just certainly uh, take it away.
0: Two men alone in an attic. A young Japanese American and a seasoned veteran of yesterday's war. It's 20 odd years since Pearl Harbor, but two ancient opponents are moving into position for a battle in an attic, crammed with skeletons, souvenirs, mementos, old uniforms, and rusted medals. Ghosts from the dim reaches of the past that will lead us into the Twilight Zone.
1: All right, Terry, I'm going to take the rest of the episode off. You can just talk about it. I'll be over here in the corner. Okay, no problem.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I so my apprehension about talking about this is just because I don't want to do um, a disservice to the history of what's surrounding this. In terms of the actual story points of what's going on, um, I don't want to diminish. You know, it's just... I want to, I want to, you know, be respectful, and I'm, I'm afraid that, like, just because I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a large mouth idiot. That would be, I could see myself easily being stuck in an attic with, like, sweating and beer and saying the wrong thing, like, you know, like no, nothing racist, but just saying something really stupid by accident, you know. So, um, yeah. So where, where do we go with this? Well, I think
0: just laying the groundwork of who Fenton is and like uh, going from there. Uh, so, you know, Fenton is a dude that's going around in his attic and he looks like he's cleaning up years of the just clutter and that. And all of a sudden he gets a call from down the steps leading up to the attic. And it's uh, it is uh, Arthur. Um, Arthur is a uh, dude, his propositioning to uh, cut his lawn. Which I might
1: add for seven bucks a month, a month is a pretty good deal. Yeah, even if you, you know, for that to today's money. Like I that's, mean good. That's, yeah, that's God. good like I I'll pay seven dollars right now, so I'm most of my yard right now, like regardless of monthly, you know, let's
0: Yeah. So to, to seal the deal here, uh Mr. Fenton says, Hey, you know what? Oh, that sounds great. You know what? Let's have a beer on it too. And you know, Arthur's apprehensive, whatever, and he's like, No, 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 come on. He's like, We just made a deal, let's let's have a beer on it. They're cold. I got plenty of them. Sounds so, all right. We
1: should mention at the start though. But one. Let me speak about the art direction of the attic is amazing. It, like the clutter and it just looks with like it being, a real attic. it look yeah, it looks like a real attic. It isn't. I mean. It just you know you know how it goes like you're like I'll take care of this later and then all of a sudden you're like where did all this shit come from you know like and you know it's just it looks it looks like a cluttered attic it's just with it being black and white on film there's a lot of wonderful textures there mm. it's a cool setting right um, I mean it's actually a hot setting but whatever uh, and we should mention too at the beginning when Fenton's like I'm um, rummaging around he finds the samurai sword he looks at it and just like just just whips it against the wall before arthur calls out yeah that that is an important plot
0: point here to to mention i'm glad you brought that up um, yeah the the sword definitely gives him like the the jeebies or something he's just not happy about yeah. seeing this thing and that's when we actually hear um uh arthur. arthur's voice coming up from the the stairwell
1: did you think for a moment the sword was talking to him because i thought the sword was talking that to him that weird echoing yeah <laughs> it, it was, was just like, like i was like what is- I was like, is this like a genie in the lamp thing? Like, you know, that like goes, what's going on here? I was like, please don't do that. You yeah. know, but yeah. So it was supposed to be for 10 minutes. Uh, you know, he's like, come up, have a beer. Uh, and then, you know, Fenton, like they, 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 he finds out his name's Arthur or he says, yeah, Whoa, he's, he's like, like what, yeah.
0: what's your name? He's just like, well, my name's Arthur. And he's just like, you don't look like an Arthur. And now it's like, all right here we go go. like this is where it's gonna go and this is not right and this is not fun and i don't want to go along this ride (laughs) um he's like what do you mean he's just like i just not don't i don't mean anything about it whatever He just tries to shrug it off shrug it off and he's like he's like well i was born in this country he's like uh you know i i have every right to be named arthur what do you mean And he's like, nah, no, I don't mean anything by it. He's like, well, you know, a matter of fact, I did change my name when I was younger. Um, He's like, my real name is Taro. He's like, oh, okay. And there's this little bit of ribbing that's going on that's still implying that he, like, all these little jokes. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but.
1: It's one of those things. It's like with... it's almost the effect of like you get, like if you go anywhere and you hear somebody say something and if someone doesn't say, Hey, what, what, what do you mean by that? They're going to like, it's one of those, like when you get ready to tell a joke and you look around, like, is it okay to say this? It's like, that feels like one of those statements yeah. and without like, and for what we, what we're going to learn about Fenton, it's like he, he plays it off like he didn't mean anything. But he, he means something.
0: Yeah. And, and he, he also yeah. says the line of a rose is a rose. And it's like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, ah, nothing about it. Uh, drink your beer, you know, or I'm going to get you a beer whatever. And this
1: will become a thing where he'll, he'll flip between Arthur and Taro the rest of the episode, like quote unquote, like accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's just, it's, um, we see it very plain day now, and I'm sure it was also very obvious then, but. Yeah, every time it's like, come on, dude. Uh, we, yeah, yeah, I
0: definitely see some of this stuff. And it is not funny and it's not okay. But uh, to not go into that kind of stuff. Um, Now we see Fenton pick, uh, pick up the sword the, again. And he, he asks Arthur, he's like, you ever seen one of these? And, you know, Arthur replies, yes. And he's like, it has something scribed. Or he's like, he says, I, I took it off of a soldier to try to kill me. And he says, there's something etched in it. Can you read it?
1: And uh, it was autographed by Randy Jackson. No, I'm kidding. It's just, um, <laughs> uh-huh. Dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was at the airport. Like, it's what. No. Yeah.
0: And uh, Fenton's like, ah, oh, come on, boy. And, and like, he keeps on calling him boy, too, which, again, like very demeaning. Uh, and it's you can tell it's getting to Arthur, but,
1: but you see Arthur has a little steel in him too, you yeah. know. So like he's like he's like don't you know I don't like being called boy. In fact, he's like I you know I'm a man, and some people even call me Mister. You know uh, English it? is the only language that I know. Yeah. Uh, Takamori, like I think that's mm-hmm. his, his last name, Takamori. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's like, and some people call me that, so it's like he's trying to like assert him his own thing, right? And it's just. Uh, you could tell, like you know, they're they're both a little prickly. Yeah, you know.
0: And then that's when also that Arthur says, "Hey, are we going to do this cleaning or not?" He's like, "Hey, hey, hey!" He's like, "Well, let me get the beer. I got dust in my throat." You know.
1: But he said, "Come in for ten minutes." He's like, "Do you want to help me clean?" this How much cleaning would you get done in ten minutes? And how many
0: beers are you going to have
1: between? Like- well, that I mean, I could figure <laughs> out. Like I, that, I mean, you know, you could get three and a half. That's in. not time on the you, clock. You can get three and a half in within ten minutes. It's fine. Just got you know. I mean, you gotta, you gotta make a commitment, you know, but in terms of cleaning an attic, I don't know, like, what are you going to do? That's a,
0: that's a, that's more than a 10 minute job anyways, man. Yeah. I've just been like,
1: whatever, that's, you that's know? a whole holiday weekend. That's, um, that's a, like the film graveyard shift where you had people work over what was a Memorial no, Labor Day weekend where you go down in the depths and you take hoses and you take out all the garbage and the giant rat monsters,
0: the graveyard shift. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a, um, that was my best impression I could do of that guy. Um, but yeah, so like Fenton is the kind of dude that has a, a story for everything that's in his attic, too. So, he, he, you know, he's really portraying this role well, uh, Mr. Brand, um, Neville Brand. So he's selling the role really well. And it's you can tell it's also really hot up there. They're sweating their asses off already.
1: Yeah, this might be one of the sweetest episodes of The Twilight Zone Very we've sweaty. ever seen. Yeah.
0: And um, so, you know, he goes downstairs, um, Fenton that is, and to go get more beer. And that's when we see Arthur pick up the sword and just look at it. And he says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him.
1: Yeah. doesn't he be like, doesn't he like kind of look at be like, why? Like, why? Like, well, he's like, he's, he says it. It's like, he's wondering why he's saying that aloud, looking at the sword, but you're like, all right, we're something's happening here. And that's when we get Serling's, uh, intro. Uh, and then Fenton comes back up, uh, with the beers and, um, you know, he says, you don't look like an Arthur to me. And then that's what an Arthur's like. You don't look like a soldier to me. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, uh, he
0: calls Fenton. Uh, Fenton calls Arthur uh, Taro. That's and right. He, and yeah. he's like, Arthur is like, corrects him. So, you no, know, it's Arthur. And he says, oh, you don't look like an Arthur. And he replies back, you don't look like a soldier. And Fenton says, you got me there, boy again, with the boy, you know, and uh, Arthur has had it with the boy shit and calls Fenton out, you know. Well,
1: even, like, that's when Fenton holds up uh, his his military jacket and with all his, you know, his ribbons on it. And I like how he calls it a fruit salad. He's like, hey, check out this fruit salad, which I just I thought. <laughs> I'm sure, um, you know, Neville Brand, like, knows all the, you know, the things you would say, you know, being a veteran himself. Uh, but, yeah, that's that goes around where basically also – you know, as Sterling said, we're twenty like twenty-some years past Pearl Harbor. This is still a known reality to people living, right? It isn't like this isn't like distant history like it is for you and I, right? Like, you know, um, so holding up a military jacket in front of a Japanese American, you know, it's like you know, there's there there's a lot there that's coming across, you know, that and probably I mean, we we feel apprehensive about like the directly racist and bigoted things saying this episode. Um, I don't know if you and I can understand what that means holding up that jacket to that person at that time, yeah. watching it. Then and, you know, I don't know.
0: And and there's a a, a couple of times that are uh, slurs are said in this, and I will not repeat them. But I that just it makes you please. Very, list,
1: can you list? I'm kidding. No, 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 don't, don't, it's
0: no. very cringeworthy. Um, this episode is I don't know. It's an uncomfortable episode to watch, but they sell like. Fenton sells the character. And um, so, you know, Fenton tries to cool the moment down and hands Arthur a beer. He's like, hey, you know, like, that's not a way to react. Or is this the way you act every time somebody offers to give you a beer? Yeah. And it's Arthur's like, oh, okay. He's like, ah, you know, it's am not just feeling that well today, you know. Like, it's been a long day. And, uh, you know, he gives him a couple more, like, lines about how, you know, stuff in the past and whatever. And... Fenton says, you know, like, here, drink up, drink up, and he cheers him, and he says, "Bonsai," and it's like, here we go again, you know, like, it's like, just leave it alone, like, you're calming the dude down, you're giving him shit about being Japanese, and then you're gonna say bonsai to him, like, and Arthur's just like, oh, okay, bonsai," and it takes a sip, I think he's just had it too, and he's just like, ah, old timer, whatever, I don't want to give him too much more ammunition here. So uh, Fenton notices that the sword is missing now. And uh, as he looks around for it, he also mentions that he can't get rid of the thing. You know, no matter what he does, it just will not go away. Give it away. You know, this is the audio you played. It just keeps on coming back to him. And he, you know, he says, I don't believe in that mumbo jumbo about, you know. Yeah,
1: he's like, I don't believe in the supernatural, all that jazz or whatever. He's like, that kind of jazz it's a good line. And, and just, he like, this is the supernatural portion of this, that this sword, which we know it, why it's there. Um, and why, uh, Arthur reacted to it the way he does. This is this, this is the twilight zone item, right? This is the thing that would belong in Friday the 13th, the series, like in, in their storeroom, like, you know, that sword, like, Nope. <laughs> like, yeah. but, uh, but I like the whole notion. It's like a bad penny. Like, even if he tries to give it away, like, no one wants it. Or the garbage men bring it back. It's like they dump it out of his front line with a talky Tina. And they're like, here, just <laughs>
0: take all the take, crisp take material back. Please, you know, like, yeah.
1: um, this car drove over and threw everything out. Like, I don't know. It was weird. Uh, it's, the, anyway. the Warrens called. They don't want any of this stuff.
0: You can have all of it. <laughs> yeah. um, so after the line of uh, that he delivers of uh, giving the sword back, uh, point first um he he also uh knows what the sword says fenton says i know what the sword says uh we had an interpreter uh to, uh you know tell us what it said back in uh when i got the thing and it says the sword will avenge me so arthur tries to leave it uh tries to leave but fenton gives him some more shit uh belittles him uh, this line this line that he gives him about you know, I I used to work a cat,
1: man. Well, because what happened was he accused Arthur of taking the sword. Arthur said he didn't, and then while uh, Fenton like, hey, he's back turned. Arthur produces the sword and goes to raise it against him. And then, like, there's this moment, this brief struggle, and then Arthur's like, I, you know, like, I don't know what came over me. I'm sorry. And then Fenton's like, you're wielding that like you're, like, a groundskeeper or whatever he says to him. It's like, like, you're trying to cut grass. And he's like, you know what I did? I operated a cat. Do you know what a cat is? It moves earth. Like, yeah. like he's like, you know, it's basically like, you know, rock beats scissors or, <laughs> or whatever yeah. he's trying it to it say. By, it by. I it did, moves I, the
0: earth. What do you know about that? He's like, all you do is manicure it.
1: Yeah, I do like the statement. he just he just yells at um you know yells at Arthur. He's like, do you know what a cat is? I just like that statement out of context. Like mm-hmm. just the idea of like like you know this could be a way different conversation if we just stop right now. Like we could, we could talk about cats, please. <laughs> you know.
0: So yeah, he's talking more shit to him and that and um Fenton here is the the this weird flashback jungle sounds and that and he just starts going into a flashback. And he hears a Japanese soldier calling out, like, come out and come out, you something, whatever. And he's in full flashback mode. So all of a sudden you can see that Arthur is not feeling all too comfortable about this either. And that's when he pulls out the sword. That's
1: right. Sorry. So
0: uh, he he hit it behind the table. So he comes up with the sword. And as soon as he does that, uh, Benton feels like he's he's being threatened. So he pulls out a knife. And they start circling around the attic and around this junk. And, uh, you know, Arthur takes a swipe at him, misses. And then, you know, Fenton tries to go for him. And there's a little bit of a struggle, but Fenton falls. And that's when uh, Arthur can do the death blow. He could take him out at this point. But that's when Fenton goes like, hey, I was yeah. just trying to tell you what was going on back then, you know. Because he
1: claims that he got the sword uh, f- uh, from a Japanese officer that was trying to behead him. And so he, he killed the man and took his sword.
0: Right. You know. But it, it wouldn't necessarily work out that way. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it be like, hey, give me that.
0: Knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so he, he trips. He falls. um, Arthur, you know, after you know, being talked to a little bit by Fenton, like, calmed down again. He's like, I got to leave. And he goes for the door.
1: Well, Arthur, somehow at that point, and we're jumping around because this episode, it's so dialogue specific that it's hard to, to keep the story beats because there's a lot of dialogue whipping around. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of. Um, and it's one room. And it's one room. And there's a lot of back and forth in terms of, like, who who's being the aggressor. So it's hard to kind of keep pace of that too. But at this point, when he has the sword in his hands, Arthur, he, he calls out Fenton with, big he's like, you killed this man in cold blood. I basically like, I, you get the feeling the sword told him like, you know, Hey, the, cause maybe he heard the whole thing too. I don't know, but he knows the truth that, um, that Fenton shot this guy whenever he was like, you know, trying to surrender and he just took the sword and Fenton's like, yeah, what if so? Like, you like, what are you going to do about it? Like, basically like, you know maybe it's true but if it is like it doesn't like basically it doesn't change anything you know and so that's what arthur's like i you know what i, I got to go <laughs> like and then yeah. and he goes downstairs the door is like shut uh Fenton's like oh he's like you just there's no lock on the door and he goes down and tries to open the door too and he's like and he just he just turns and looks at arthur and he's like huh i guess you're not supposed to leave yet and arthur's like what's that supposed to mean he's like i don't know and i'm like well, that's not creepy yeah, yeah so it's like, like
0: that's when you hear the music it's like all right. Well, yeah, that we needed that line. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, so he he it goes past this moment because we get a, we get a break. There's a yeah. commercial break and Arthur's back upstairs
1: and you can see that Fenton's still trying the door, but it's not going to work. So, he well, goes, that's the point whenever Arthur's like going to the window and Fenton says to him specifically like it's too high up. Like that's not going to work. Like, maybe look well, for a screwdriver. Yeah, it's like maybe, um, maybe we can break a window later. Like if we need to, to yell for help. Right. So it's a, that's another thing laid out there. Like the, 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 it's too high. We we can't just jump out the window.
0: And then that's when we see Arthur pick up the sword, sword again. again. Yeah. Um, a lot of sword picking up here. Um, so that's when Fenton looks at him. He's like, "Hey, you know." takes the sword away from me he's like you ever try to hurt me again or something like that or come at me with like that again i'm gonna chop you in a hamburger and he throws the sword again um this uh, there, again the sword is being thrown around too a lot This
1: I, I don't know how this thing even has an edge anymore for yeah. as much as it's gotten whipped around um but uh, there's there's a line here too at one point when arthur says i've got a short fuse so don't strike matches like there's you know that's a cool line i
0: can't walk past the box without getting a paper cut at yeah, work you know yeah. and these guys are throwing the sword around and they haven't even gotten a little nick from this thing so i mean good on them um uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but um i
1: mean i, I was at uh, th- about this time last year i was trying to cut like uh tomatoes and like almost cut like the top of my thumb off by accident like could you matt no i would be it would be bad it'd be so bad it it, it's a revenge. It was uh, the attack. Yeah. And the killer tomatoes. Yeah. yeah the, the, the knife said, um, you know, I will avenge, I will avenge these maters. I'm like, no, they'll do it. You know, like whatever. So.
0: um So, yeah, that's when um, Arthur goes into about how he actually lived on uh Hawaii. He he was near Pearl Harbor and that his father was a war hero that he worked on the docks uh, as a civilian. And then that's when him and his mother were on the hillside and they saw that the planes were rolling in. And he watched his father calling out to the, the the ships, like, "Hey, these guys are coming in. They're mm-hmm. gonna bomb you." And he's going into the story, and he's getting he's getting more amped up. He's getting more uh, uh, charged, and that's when he says, "You know, like here, I could hear the the planes coming in, and they're firing." And he's he just gets frantic at, at this moment and starts crying. Yeah. And he's and then he says, "I lied about my father. He he was." directing the the, the planes, planes to come, come in, in yeah, and where the to strike yeah. he's like my father was a traitor and uh he's very he's very emotional at this moment and that's when Fenton says hey man like just you know it is what it is have a beer like you know that you're not your father and all that and so it's 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 showing a, a like a lighter side to Fenton but it's it's really strange in how that character arc comes back down that way. I don't
1: know. Yeah, it's a little weird. We, I got some trivia about that in terms of like the story cuz I mean, historically that's not accurate whatsoever, but it's a twilight zone, so, you know, yeah. we're we're dealing with a cursed sword and, you know, all this stuff too. Um, so uh yeah, it just it becomes this weird moment of like they both have demons of the past and it's like uh, I don't know if that was the intent I mean, mean clearly it was the intent because this is how it's working out. But uh, considering now in you know in the year of our rod 2021 uh, that we live in, uh, that you know when you hear like statements like you know good people on both sides, and you hear all this other garbage going on, it feels weird to me that somehow like there'd be like this weird like guilt and absolution. For I don't know it just felt weird of like oh well there was a trainer on the Japanese side too and then even Fenton's like oh no worry kid back then you know everybody was like you know tr- trainers or whatever it's like he's trying to make him feel better about that and he was also saying you're not your father you know which is a valid statement you know but then it just becomes this whole thing of like Now we know Arthur has um, this dark secret he's been carrying with him too, and he keeps asserting that his, you know, him being American and should be treated the same way as anybody else, with with the knowledge that his father was a traitor to the country that he has grown up in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's weird. You're right. It's a weird. I don't. I don't know what was going on with this. because I still think you could have had this really interesting story without that element, but we'll, whatever. Well, I guess we'll kind of talk about them. We wrap it up. So then we learn more about Fenton, right? Um, we find out that Fenton had, you know, his wife had left. He's been lonely. Um, he lost his job with the big cat, which I again I just want to imagine a large yellow cat, like a physical cat, not a bulldozer. You know, whatever. Uh, Cause he just happened to have a few drinks too. It's like you admitted to drinking on the job. No wonder you got canned. And then he ends up like, it's like, you almost get, you almost get sympathy for him for a second. And then he ends up making a comment about, it's like, it's all that cheap flavor. They keep letting it over here. And he starts naming countries and Japan's one of them. And it's like, here we go again. And we shouldn't have taken on a uh,
0: Hawaii. See what happens. It's like, <laughs> Oh my God, dude, you're just shooting yourself in the foot left and right. When you're trying to make this guy feel any better about what's going on in his past, you know, like you could never be one of those like, uh, you know, therapists or anything like that. That's not in your future. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, you know, after all of this, um, Fenton, uh, you know, like he's telling them all that he's telling the always me stuff. Arthur picks up the sword again and it looks like he's going almost into like a stance, like he's going to strike him. And uh, Fenton's like, Hey man, like chill out, you know, we're cool. Don't worry about it. Like, I mean, there's a lot more dialogue here. I mean, there's quite a bit of dialogue at this point and he's just like, you know, if you you think I you think I'm scared, you're right.
1: I am scared. I'm well, scared. I'm scared every day. I'm scared more of living. Well, yeah, because he has nothing now. Because well, and we'll get to. There's a very important statement he makes there in a second that's really telling. But even before that, when I, again Arthur says you killed a man in cold blood, and and Fenton's like, hey, that happened in Okinawa, and you can't blame a man for just following orders. I put it to you. How how can Finn, as a person, absolve himself of what he was doing in the name of duty, but then somehow still blame Arthur's father for signaling Japanese planes because he was following orders and doing his duty? You know, in the same way, it's like, if you're, if you're going to be like, well, you can't blame me. I was just following orders. It's like, but you're certainly blaming his father for following orders. That just, it's that weird, like, two sides like out of the mouth like both like out both outside whatever talking about
0: uh, talking out of both sides of your mouth that's
1: that's the million dollar phrase there you go ding 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 um it's like that feels it's like like i'm not saying either one's good you know but it's like how can and there's that double standard that exists of like oh i was following orders but you know we were told we were told you guys were like not even human you know and it's like just he keeps he keeps pushing why, 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 like everything is going on and, and how it's like, you know, he's like, I'm not such a bad guy. And then he's a there's a comment though along the lines, whenever Arthur has a sword drawn on him, he says, like, you know, when you're being told to like like hate, you end up hating everything. And I'm like, that, that I, I don't have the exact quote, but it's like that that is Fenton to a T where you know he has he's been, you know, he hates everything. And he has pushed everything away and he only has himself to blame and he still views himself as a okay guy. Yeah. You know, it's like he's
0: been brainwashed by some of the things that had happened, you know, like maybe some bad instructors, whatever you're, you're, you're you know, you're, whatever, you know, like being around the wrong groups of people and that, oh, it's their, their fault. It's the reason why this country's going down the toilet. You know, that's the, that's the mentality that Fenton's been living in.
1: When he's like, and now we're supposed to be told, he's like, that you're, you, you uh, your people are upstanding and respectable. You, you like, have, it's you're like, cultured oh. and all that. Like,
0: it's just like, Whew. he's
1: still, he's yeah. still being a dick, but it's like, what?
0: how do you justify any of these things that you're saying to a Japanese American? Like, I
1: don't, I mean, he can't be that loaded, you know? <laughs> well, no, it's like, and in you're split, in, in initially, like, you want to feel sympathy because he's like, I'm just alone. And it's like, you've lost everything and you hate everything, so you're willing. It's it's one of those things. It's like um, whenever somebody. You know, they'll use the thing of like, you know, like, well, I can't be racist. I have a friend of color. It's like, okay, so you're reaching out to that one, you have that one person that you can see that you don't put them in the same circles of your mentality because you know them. And he's reaching out to Arthur. He's like, well, just have a beer. It's like, no one else is coming for you. So you're willing to put aside your deep seated hatred and racism just to have somebody to talk to about how your life sucks congratulations yeah. you know like
0: yeah in his, you go, buddy. In, in his eyes he can be the one good one like that's the way he's yeah. treating and, and it's, it's like, like
1: god damn it that's, it's
0: know? terrible it's it's awful and honestly i if i was uh you know arthur i would have been out of here in a in a split second especially well, yeah. you know like once he started saying the boy and all that stuff like you know what this you know i'm not cutting your lawn <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> Like, in right. fact, I'll give you eight dollars if I never see you yeah. again. How about that? Uh, Forget your lawn. Yeah. Forget you. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, so that you know, that's when he grabs the the sword and everything, and uh, you know, he he looks like he's gonna probably strike uh, Fenton, and that's when he you know gives him this like blubbering of like you know I am scared and all that stuff, and then he's like, you know what, scared of being alive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And um, that's when they go at it again. They just start doing a tussle here again. And, uh, you know, Fenton grabs uh, Arthur's hands and he, he's able to maneuver the sword out of his hands and it drops to the ground. And uh, Fenton goes to pick up the sword. And as he's trying to pick it up, uh, Arthur grabs a hold of his leg from behind and pulls it out from under him. And that's you
1: see that uh, Fenton falls on the sword. Yeah, they... they- I don't know how you would shoot that for 64 and show it any other way than they did. It's, it's really kind of confusing, but the idea is that, uh, and, and, you know, he, he gets impaled with the sword, you know, the, what he called a pig sticker earlier too. And it's like, mm. yeah, you know, who got stuck there? Fenton, you, right. know? <laughs> you know, you've been sweating like a stuck pig all afternoon. It's about time you pay up. Right. But, but, but it was like, it was an accident, but Fenton still dies due to the sword. And, but then we get this really odd ending. Like it is just, ugh, I don't know how I feel about it. So, so here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: Arthur picks, uh, rolls over Fenton, pulls the sword out of him, looks at the blade, looks towards the window, jumps through the glass window and yells "Banzai!" And that's it. Arthur's out. And, and then, then we, yeah. we, we pan over as we are hearing Rod Serling's, outro and we see that the attic door opens up on its own
1: yeah meaning that whatever was supposed to happen happened and and now we're out of the twilight zone um my gosh it's like um there is there's a lot of like good in the sense of like interesting things going on in this episode i i think the premise is actually quite fascinating i think um and it's something that you know you bring you bring you know the the hater to the like directly to the face of hate you know or, or what they believe is what they're hating right? you know and like the opposite like you know the other right and it's like it's that's really interesting to me and that could be this is something that's like man like this could have been revisited in a, you know a lot of ways but I don't know why it having guilt like artificially heaped upon Arthur's character. It's somehow supposed to be like, well, they both, you know, they're both dead now. They both like absolved, like they're, they're, you know, they, they've succumbed to their demons or whatever. It's like, I don't understand that part of it at all. And that's frustrating to me.
0: Yeah. The the weird directions that you were talking about, like that's, that's the only way to describe it because I don't understand why we needed. And I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good backstory to Arthur, but if you want the narrative that the sword is avenging the fallen then arthur's backstory doesn't really make a difference if it's a fact that the sorter the sword is uh wielding him to control the sword like to somehow take upon the sword and use it for what it's supposed to be used for by avenging I, I wanted something more there. If I wanted, I wanted to hear like whispers or something. Or, or
1: something I mean, like, you know what? I was raised in Honolulu. I never met my father. And then it's like, and then when he sees the blade, he realizes like, that was my dad's sword like, right. type of th- like Something, anything, you know, like that would have been. I like a family
0: a, crest or something was on it. Like,
1: I don't. Yeah. Cause then at least then you get like, it I was you, you. Yeah. Know? Right. Um, yeah, we heard, we heard, um, a, a drunk Fred Flintstone killed my father. Um, You know, so yeah, I don't know. Like I just, they're just, and also the way he goes out, it's just like with as much like as, and and this, this episode does try to treat Arthur as a person with respect. Like they don't do anything, especially for 64 that would come across as like stereotypical. I mean, you got, you know, you got um Fenton like saying his shit and kind of calling it out, like, well, not calling it out, but like making mention of it and trying to get something out of Arthur. But you didn't have any, like this could have been, it could have been horribly handled. The, I some think, of the yeah. tropes that Oof, we see in yeah. a lot
0: of other shows. Yeah. Um Like the, I, I I don't even want to go yeah, into it them because matter, they're, they're but, terrible. Yeah. And it's like it, they existed in, in so many different shows, even, even in the eighties and the nineties, they were still doing this kind of stuff to kind of, to thicken up the storyline, as far as like, oh, they're Asian, so let's put this in there, you know.
1: Yeah, I, so I, th- so I think that the episode did a good job of like not falling into the obvious traps until the last minute when he grabs the sword and 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 commits, like you know, uh, you know, basically Harry Carey or Harry Kari. Harry Carey, that's. Not- that's not right. Harry is the broadcaster for the Cubs, right? I think I think it's yeah. called
0: Harry Carey. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, I I think I I think that's right. If I'm wrong, people, please let me know. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I just, but you know, like that's what they would do. They would do like the 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 you know honorable suicide, right, or whatever. And like, and you got him doing this. And it's like, do we need that? Like, you know, so. Um, I think it's Hari Kari. I think that's what that's not Harry Carey. I don't know. Sorry. This is a minefield of an episode and I'm not trying to step on anything, but clearly I stepped on seven of them and <laughs> I'm not trying to exist. I, my apologies people. And, and to let you, I have not had a, a drop of any beer. My, my throat is quite dusty, you know? So mm. this is just me being, you know, me, I apologize for that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like this is, this is one that, it, it um, watched it twice Even knowing where it was going the second time, I I thought, well, maybe I'll catch something. I really didn't catch any. Like, it was all there in front of me. Like, I, the notion of Fenton, like, saying his following orders, but then still blaming Arthur's father. I was like, "Eh, I can't handle that. I picked that up the second time through. But, you know, I don't know, man. This is just, it's an odd episode.
0: Yeah, and, um, and again, yeah. uncomfortable, at least uh, I can I can imagine.
1: And worthy of discussion in the right ways.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I can imagine why the, they took this out of syndication, because that's what <laughs> you're yeah. probably going to go into Yeah, here. yeah,
1: yeah. So um, uh, this was uh, – so, yeah, I mean, do you have any other notes about the episode? Um, no, no, okay. go ahead with yours. Yeah, so this episode uh, – what was it? Yeah. Um, Sparked some controversy for uh, with CBS when it first aired in '64 due to strong critical blowback for its um, its uh, ostensible racist overtones and revisionist history. CBS pulled this episode out of syndication, and it was not rebroadcast again on any network until 2016. Although it did air in other countries, so it didn't air in the U.S. until 2016. Uh, it aired in other countries and was not removed from streaming services or home uh, video or DVD sets. Um, the encounter triggered audience review criticism of the episode as antithetical to the series, normally positive treatment of otherwise sensitive, social, religious, and racial subject matter. So that's what like the internet said, I do have some, um, some notes from a couple of the books that we do use here. So, um, let's see where we're going with this. Um, all right. There was a quote here. Um, uh, there, when William Frog a- kept asking, like, actually, um, the, actually, the director asked, um, the producer William Frog. He's like, "What, what does the audience get out of this? What are we doing?" That was what, what the director asked. He's like, "I just wanted to know. I didn't want to rewrite." Like, so the director's asking, like, "Why are we doing this?" And so he's asking the the producer, and he's like, uh, "I was just sort of curious. I, I you know, I, I don't think he took kindly to the question. So he's saying the producer William Frog was kind of like, you know, just just shoot the episode, like, don't b- bother me, you know. So, um. I with um with George Takei he says here what was it Uh, I have a quote from Takei here in a moment um this is regard sorry this is regards to what Neville Brand said it was a terrific show but it was harsh I don't know what it's it's saying still I don't know why somebody decided to do that it's a mystery sorry Takei said that I'm all over the place I knew that um, the director we worked on Playoffs 90 together and so that's how they knew each other I didn't even know that that. He became a director. It was wonderful to see him moving up in his career as well. I didn't have to audition, which was such a flattering thing. And to have the opportunity to work with Neville Brand, who I'd also seen on PlayStation 90, was fantastic. Um, This is important. This is what uh, Takei also says. The story was controversial because the father of my character is portrayed as having signaled the Japanese planes that attacked Pearl Harbor, which didn't happen. He's like, I'm a member of the Japanese American Citizens League. Um, you know, which is basically like, he said it's a similar to like the Japanese, um, ACLU, like the American civil, like, you know, or, or like in the, in a, in double ACP, uh, for, for, um, Asian Americans. So he's like some sensitive to those issues, but I also knew this was the twilight zone and thus not a documentary, you know, but in this case, the story did generate a protest and the encounter became the only episode of the series that only aired once. I thought it was regrettable. Uh, during the time I was working, um, Serling came in uh, for a few hours. I got a chance to tell him what an admirer of his I was, and we spoke about *Requiem* for heavyweight and patterns. And so, and he also he goes on to say Neville Bram was the easygoing guy. So, like, Takei was well aware at the time and actively aware of like this this isn't accurate to history. But he was like, "It's the Twilight Zone," so I didn't get upset about it. So, I think that's interesting
0: yeah I, and, and i'm glad that his experience with a uh, with doing the episode and that and the, the subject matter didn't change him and change his opinions of uh of the show and working with rod serling or anything like that
1: and so yeah so speaking to the director and how he had questions about like what was going on with the script which you know i, I think that's fair like you know like you know directors are hired right to to do these things and if they have questions, the, like they should be able to get like satisfactory answers as to why they're doing the things they are, why they're doing them the way they are. Um, so let's see here. Um, another here's uh, this is Butler talking um, Robert Butler. Uh, there was either something in the script or the character. I don't recall which that I felt needed some clarity when I talked to producer William Frog about it. He got very patient with my position and we argued about it. Uh, He was left feeling that I simply didn't like the show, period. I simply wanted to be clear on a story point, but I remember being misunderstood. In any case, the episode turned out to be a terrific little piece. So um, I like that there's like these different like takes on like, you know, oh, Frog didn't like me. And he's like, I was then the butler's like, I was just asking questions. But I just it just feels like, again, I'm going to put this on Frog and also uh, not. I don't know. I don't know if I want to blame Martin Goldsmith. I mean, he's the one who wrote the episode, but frog reached out to him to do two episodes of the twilight zone. This and what's in the box. Right. Uh, and so I don't know if Goldsmith ever had the ear for the twilight zone. I don't think frog ha- actually had any, I don't think he gave a single shit about the show. I just think he wanted to get stuff done and, and you know, just like can't t- turn out episodes because CBS needed it done. You know, I don't think he actually cared any way shape or form about like is this is this what is this the standard of quality in terms of what people have come to expect for the twilight zone
0: and i think that's a fair statement because uh you know some of these episodes it's like how did they make it past and then go right into production like somebody needed to look at a few of these episodes and be like i think we need to look uh, take a glance at this and just maybe rework it a little bit you know and then you know
1: that didn't happen.
0: So we get some of the episodes like, yeah,
1: it just that would make no sense. So what I just about the connection between this and what's in the box aside from the writer is that he must have a thing with people falling out of windows. Cause you know, that happened in what's in the box where the guy, what punches his wife and she falls out the window. And this one, he's like, how do I end the episode? There's a window, you know, like that's like that. That's, that's almost like the same as, and then I woke up. It's like, have somebody fall out a window, which is in line with the twilight zone. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, th- like, I, for the bigger message episodes that we've covered on the show, um, you know, even with, um, I, know, I am the night color me black, which, you know, it was a little, a little heavy handed with the script, but the, the message was there. Um, go back to like, I'll even go back to he's alive, which is, you know, purposely heavy handed, like, and it needs to be, uh, even going back to season three deaths head revisited. Um when you get these or even the shelter from season three, uh, when you get these big, important, like moral episodes, like, you know, they, they need to be very clear in what they're saying. Um, I don't mind having a little gray, but not here, you know, like, cause, um, yeah, I don't know. Like this one, it just feels muddled, but it just, it, it frustrates me because there's such a cool idea here for, uh, two characters. Cause you put them in a locked room and, And, you know, like it just escalates, right? That's, that could be really compelling television. That could be really good storytelling. And you can get a lot of, uh, interesting, um, you know, bigger picture stuff out with that too. This one just kind of, it aims and it just kind of misses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's, that's, that's where I was at with it too. There was a few things that I was hoping were going to fall in the line and we were going to get something that was like really kind of eerie and uh memorable and honestly we didn't get any of that like i mean maybe a little eerie but just with everything else going on this episode made me feel really deflated after after watching the ending
1: yeah i I just i mean and i apologize for people listening i feel like i'm i've been a little bit more off my game than i you know normally am in terms of like my wonderful presenting for podcasts just i you know this is, this is one that, like, from the moment I watched it, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to talk about this. Uh, you know, it just. And I, and again, I'm always caught, like aware of not wanting to say something that's, you know, insensitive or, you know, inappropriate. Um, you know, I, it's just, again, viewing this 2021 and, and learning more and more about, like, just the world around us and how people, like, interact and how they deal with each other. And the tensions that can build up from just all of this. Um, it's it's one to ponder. It's just that I wish there was I wish there was a clearer a clearer through line with this episode. And because of that, maybe because I'm not sure how I, like how I feel about that, maybe it's coming through with how I'm talking about it tonight. So I apologize to everybody. And it's like Paul seems normally, you know, so full so on game and says every word correctly, not tonight. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah this one left my head filled with mud so i wasn't sure how to talk yeah. about it how to approach it how to find light yeah. in all this darkness
1: <laughs> yeah so um yeah, you know, I, I think that's that's it for trivia and me uh like fumbling through reading a book so this is uh we got to because it's, it's the show let's rate that twist I mean, an episode called The Encounter where you have uh, a World War II vet and uh, a Japanese-American in an attic and it's getting it's hot and, you know, shit would get real. Uh, none of that surprised me um, with um, the very ending, like, being as tone-deaf as it was. I don't know if that's really a twist with an episode, but I didn't, I didn't expect uh, Arthur to go, you know, out the way he did. So, I'll give that a three.
0: Yeah, Arthur flying out the window was probably a four for me, but, like... <laughs> How this one kind of just stumbled all over the place and fell on its sword. Uh, Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) I'll give that a three. Like I, I mean, I expected something to happen, but I didn't didn't expect Fenton fall on the sword and die. So I guess there was a a twist here.
1: Yeah, right. So, all right, and who like and like the real twist is who'd have thought you know beer would lead to problems? I'm kidding. Um, so. All right, that's going to do our discussion about the encounter before we're talking about what we're doing next. Uh, you guys can find us on Facebook at um, Strange Highways. Um, you can email us directly at StrangeHighwaysPodcastGmail.com. Uh, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us, that'd be greatly appreciated. And if you enjoyed this conversation uh, and are fumbling about, like, you know, like we're manicurists, you know, we don't know how to move Earth, you know, uh, or the, the, the Earth that is our words. I don't know. We just manicure words, whatever that means. Uh, you know recommend it like we're we're now now we have five episodes to go of the original series right so we're not just in the home stretch we're you know we're there like the, the next you know five weeks we're gonna just dead run this and it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be bittersweet so uh and terry how can people find us otherwise uh so we are on instagram so Come
0: check us out on there. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Whatever they do over there, whatever the kids are doing nowadays on Instagram, share our images. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not. We, we don't. We, it doesn't belong to us anyway. We give you
1: permission to use images that aren't ours. What? <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're using somebody else's images anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so check us out over there. Um, we keep on having people reach out to us, giving us good feedback about the show. We also have people criticizing us. Talk about you, Bill. I'm allowed <laughs> get, to get things did, wrong. Did you get
1: called out again? Because if, if that's the case, then this week's going to be a lot of problems. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Come at me, Bill. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, we take the good and the bad. We don't care. Um, it just makes us better either way. So, or, or just makes our heads bigger. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then our, you know, our headphones won't fit at some point. And then guess what? We're gonna have to buy new headphones. So just keep on bringing us down. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So, a next episode we're gonna get to is called uh, Mister Garrity and the Graves. Um, this this is not. I don't think this is about like a like a garage band. I think it's going to be something else. So uh, we'll let uh, we'll let Mr. Serling uh, tease it. And now, Mr.
0: Serling. Next time out, we move into the area of graveyards and the dear departed, and we tell you a story about a most distinctive type of fella, who happily enough has an equally distinctive profession. He raises the dead. On the Twilight Zone next time, John Daner, Stanley Adams, and J. Pat O'Malley lend selective talents to a little item called. Mr. Garrity and the Graves.
1: So, do you think he just raises the dead to like to the point to where like, hey, you're 18, time to go to dead college? Do you think that's you know? Hmm. this raises them, I, like, I don't know, about I, don't know like, <laughs> I, I, I hope don't it's know. i hope it's the other one i want to see some dead bodies <laughs> raised yeah right yeah. so we're
0: some gonna metal. we're gonna
1: we're gonna deal with uh the the original pet cemetery here zombies
0: come um, on give me zombies
1: <laughs> yeah we'll see I, i'm sure that'll be uh, a little bit more familiar territory for us to get into next week so mr gary the graves next week uh have a good week have a safe week um you know just you know be be good human beings. Don't be pieces of shit in an attic yelling at each other. Um, you drink beer, that's fine. Don't don't play with swords in attics. I don't have anything really good there to say. Uh ditto.
0: You know what a cat is, Arthur?